Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Saturday night in Madrid, Ans Jabur was the last seed standing five days ago, and tonight she goes where no African player has ever gone before. But that is the second headline in Madrid tonight as the entire country digests their 19-year-old native son clipping two of the best players in history in a single 24-hour stretch. We are glad that you're with us on Saturday night. It is TC Live on the air for this Masters 1000 for the men, 1000 level event for the women with Hall of Famer Pan Shriver in the flesh and another one, Andy Roddick in the window. I'm Brett Haber. You know, on the women's side, it was one of those weeks where the women's draw was in shambles. We had just one top 10 player remaining after just the second round. And yet we had a very compelling final with Jabur and Pagul and very nice for Anz Jabur, who hasn't always done well in finals to do well today. Yeah, well, women's tennis, it's been unpredictable, really, to get to these final stages. And I thought Jabur, the way she turned around after playing a dismal second set in a final, given the history of all her losses, including the one a month ago that was painful to Bencic, thought she showed great stuff in the finals there, that final set. Great day to have a drop shot in Madrid, huh, Andy? (laughs) I mean, I'm telling you, Brett, but it's all set up by the power uh, of the forehands and the, and the weight of shot coming off the racket of Jabor and, and, and Alcaraz. And they're not scared to play it in any count. It's like, it's like throwing a 3-2 curveball, Brett. They're not scared to do it. And it's, it, it's fun to see. And Jabor, uh, Pam and I touched on it the other day, for three or four years, everyone's going, don't hit so many drop shots. Don't hit so many drop shots. Then her game comes around. She becomes more consistent from the baseline, is able to hurt you off the forehand side. So therefore, her by virtue of that, her drop shot automatically becomes better. What a story from Tunisia. Just a, just a great thing to see. Congrats to Ons today. Breaking ground for her country and that part of the world with every achievement she notches onto the resume. Here are some of them today. It's her second career title. The other one, ironically, came on the grass at Eastbourne, where maybe you wouldn't think the drop shot would be as effective. This is her first 1,000-level title. She'll be up to number seven in the world in the new rankings. And she is the tour leader in clay court wins this year. And, and Pam, she's talked a lot about how her improved fitness has allowed her to play and withstand some of these long, grueling physical matches against the top players in the world. And you can't underestimate how important that fitness factor is. And you can see it not just in person, but also on TV when you watch her, her court coverage. And it does give her confidence in a three-set match in a final after she's one through. Remember, these Masters, these 1,000s, you start in the round of 64. There's a lot of tennis to be played before you even get to the final. All right, so uh, we tip the cap to Anz Jabur and likewise to Jesse Pagula, who uh, has had a good season at the 1,000 semifinals in Miami and now to the final on Madrid's clay. Uh, so with that, we want to pivot to the men. And before we talk about Carlos Alcaraz today, we got to talk about what he did yesterday because it doesn't happen often. Beating Rafa on clay in his home country. 37 winners for Alcaraz, just 10 for Nadal. Was it a passing of the torch occasion? Well, we probably won't know that for a while, but if Alcaraz turns out to be the stud that he clearly appears to be, that match against his hero in front of their mutual home crowd 
will surely be one to remember for a long time. So the question today was, could he follow that up? No one had ever beaten Nadal and Djokovic in back-to-back -back matches on Clay and Andy. That is exactly what he did. And they can't. We wonder what the matchup was going to look like. Look at this angle that he flattens out. That's just ridiculous stuff from Novak. And he's starting to get those shades of, listen, I'm Novak from a year ago. I thought it was a productive week, uh, no matter how this uh, one went for, for Novak. But able to had some success mixing up paces, hitting it high up on the Alcaraz back in there, getting the air. But Alcaraz, he's persistent. He's relentless with the aggression. Got his teeth into the second set. And this has become commonplace, right? Coming up with big shots, that huge kick that jumps up and away. This guy's body is absolutely electric. And then when he gets into the rallies, he's not scared to hit a drop shot at any time, in any count, from anywhere. Getting the the, uh, the air from Novak. And oh, by the way, Novak's one of the best people at covering drop shots ever. Look at it, the court coverage, but also reading that ball. He was in a full sprint before Novak had actually hit that drop shot and knows how to play to the crowd already. Uh, the crowd wants to love this kid. They have good reason to love this kid. Look at those wheels, Brett. The way that he can move around the court and switch directions. And the, the, the dirt looked powdery today, right? It looked slippery. It wasn't like the rest of the week where it was gritty and a little bit wet. That uh, kick serve, again, you don't see many people kind of bully Novak's backhand return with their kick serve. And then all of a sudden, just backing up the line, cold cocking winners. This guy is an aggressive mentality in the vein of like a McEnroe, a Sampras. And then rip that forehand, knowing what he has to do, executing the shot. You can see the respect from Novak right there. This kid is the real deal. Nadal Djokovic, back-to-back -back wins on clay in Madrid. Wow. Wow is right. Three hours and 35 minutes after he went 3.09 yesterday against Rafa. 51 winners for Alcaraz. Just 24 for Djokovic as he notches his sixth straight win against a top 10 player. Let's hear from both players, starting with Novak. I had a lot of chances, and uh, it was a fantastic match. Great battle. But uh, I am definitely disappointed with uh, not being able to use my chances in the second set. Third set, I had a lot of break points. Just... Yeah, just uh, wasn't able to capitalize when it mattered. He did, and uh, congrats to him. Your second Masters 1000 final uh, tomorrow on Sunday. Do you think there's a limit as to what you can achieve? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I just trying to to make results, uh, to put a, a good uh, game in every tournament, to still uh, still being there with, with the best uh, in the in the world. Uh, I mean, the, tomorrow I, I will go for for it for the final uh, as I did in in Miami, and uh, yeah, really really happy with with uh, be able to, to play a, a second Master 1000 final. All right, so Carlitos becomes the 12th player in history to beat Nadal and Djokovic at the same event, but the youngest ever to do it and the first ever to do it on clay. Andy, you were one of the previous 11 back in Dubai 2008. There's a reason so few guys have done that. These two guys are good. Well, and also, let's give some context, Brett. There's only five that had done it within a back-to-back -back days within a 24-hour period. So to be doing something like that at 19 years old, and when I did it, it was on a fast court. I could serve through it. It was quicker points. It wasn't with the physicality of what he's gone through the last two days. He's gone through just three, two matches, three hours plus. There aren't a lot of free points against guys named Nadal and Djokovic. Uh, couldn't be more impressed with what this kid has accomplished. I like what Djokovic had to say after the match. The guy who came in second even referred to the match as a fantastic yeah. match. I mean, everybody would agree. 
Uh, it's been incredible. Usually, you, I mean, look, these Master Series 1000s, yes, they're important, but usually we remember the majors, right? These are back-to-back -back matches I think all of us will remember when it's not at the majors. There were a couple of X factors in this match that, that need to be pointed out. One was the crowd. This was a, a home game for Alcaraz, and they really supported him for all uh, three and a half hours of this. And the other one is that Djokovic is not in full flight. He's barely played this year, and so not at 100%. Not sure what percentage of his full flight he was at. How much do you think those two things played a factor today, if at all? Well, I think less and less. I feel like even this match, even though Novak came in second, I think this gives him extra confidence going into Rome. Rome is huge for him to play more matches and I think he's getting there. I think last week in his home country was vital, even though he lost in the final six love. He's getting there, and he knows he wants to be ready Sunday, the start of the Roland Garros. Andy, you were in the heart of your career when Rafa emerged in 2005, when he won Roland Garros for the first time and became ultimately a permanent force on the tour. I, I don't want to overstretch the analogies between what Alcaraz is doing and what Rafa did, but does this, is this starting to feel like 2005 and what Rafa did? Yeah, I mean, we didn't sit there in 2005 and say Rafa's going to win 21 majors, right? But we knew that he was going to win majors. There was a sense of inevitability about what Rafa was going to accomplish, especially on clay. I remember uh, my old trainer, Dougie Spreen, said, this kid's going to win seven Grand Slams. And I said, Doug, don't be a victim of the moment. It's still early. You have to be healthy. And so Doug was wrong. He actually won 13 um, or has won 13 to this point. But you have that kind of air of, of inevitability about Alcor about Alcaraz normally it's if someone can win a slam or can this prospect break through this is a when conversation uh from where I sit his body holds up I don't question him being able to go the distance now going five sets you know seven times over two weeks we haven't seen that yet but this kid doesn't look tired his body he's moving as fast and as quickly and as dynamically in in the the third set of the the second match in two days against the greatest of all time as he was in the first set against Rafa so I don't see this kid fading away from from the moment of a grand slam and remember he took one of the hardest falls we've seen on the right. court season yesterday when he sprained mm -hmm. his ankle so he's recovered even well from that difficult moment all right uh, physical transformation I mean good take a look at a photo of this kid 12 months he was scrawny now he's a he's a brute uh, we still have to determine his opponent in the final tomorrow that match second semifinal is coming up after this program here's the head-to-head -head between Zverev and Tsitsipas 7-3 for Steph including all three meetings on clay uh, I think of a couple of contentious meetings last year in Cincinnati when the whole are you taking your phone to the bathroom and getting coaching advice from your dad thing these guys are testy with one another hey listen let's see some aggro to wrap up a great day in Madrid <laughs> I want to see all of it I want to see coaching warnings I want to see bathroom breaks that go too long point penalties meanwhile Sitsipas has really become a great player on the play court. He is maturing. Sure, he's had some tough losses, including the two sets to love up against Novak last year at the French Open. But uh, both these guys know how to win on this surface. I think the second serve is Verev. We always look to that. Sitsipas's forehand will be ready to pounce. Um, both guys are playing well. So this is going to be, while it, it, it's sort of like the undercard of the earlier match, um, I think it's going to be a great one, too. This was a 6-4, 6-2 for Sitsipasa in Monte Carlo. Why has it been such one-way traffic on the clay for Steph, Andy? Well, Steph is just really, really, really good on red clay, and Zverev is a really good clay court player, but it's not his favorite surface, Brett, by, by any means. Um, but one thing that Steph has done really well, and he did it in that match that we just saw the highlight of in Monte Carlo, which was convincing for Steph, was he was hitting that little chip 
to Zverev, right? Where he was either saying, hey, listen, you're either going to have to rally back and then I have core position with you kind of stumbling back and forth, or you're going to have to come in on something that maybe feels a little bit forced. Look for that one. He was using that to perfection in Monte Carlo and Zverev, especially on that low forehand when he was trying to round or trying to run around it, was having a hard time getting it up and down uh, aggressively. So look for Steph to, to see if that'll work, especially with the air in Madrid where the ball flies a little bit more. He's going to continue to ask that question. Yeah, 2,300 feet of altitude in Madrid. It'll be Jim Courier and Jason Goodall on the call of Sitsipas and Zverev. That is right after this edition of TC Live. We've got a lot more to get to on the show. We'll have a little tennis market watch. Whose stock is up? Whose is falling? And could we have another first-time slam champion at Roland Garros? Stay with us on TC Live. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. From unknown to major champion in a single summer, Emma Raducanu wins the U.S. Open. Raducanu, the latest player to join the Grand Slam Champions Club. We don't know how many she's going to end up with, but for the moment, she is one of 11 women in the past decade to win one major title, but not a second one yet. By way of comparison, during that same time frame, on the men's side, there are only three such players, Chilich, Medvedev, and Dominic team. So we asked the question as we welcome you back to TC Live, Pam. What, what does this tell us about women's tennis? Does it suggest that there's parity in the women's game? Oh, it certainly suggests that. It also suggests, unlike most eras in women's tennis, uh, there hasn't been this consistent, long-standing, dominant number one. The last one was really Serena. Barty wasn't there long enough. We will see whether or not Fiontech, by the way, I mean, number one ranking this year is undefeated between those two players. But what, what does it say about women's tennis, Andy? Well, it makes it fun, first of all. I mean, and as a player, you're going and saying, hey, listen, are there 30 people that can win this major? And I, I think the answer is yes. Maybe not with what Sviatek's doing right now, but uh, over the course of the last decade, the answer has overwhelmingly been, been yes, especially as Serena's kind of played less and less and some of our great champions have moved on. Listen, opportunity's knocking every week on the, on the WTA Tour right now. There have been a number of unexpected champions, especially at Roland Garros, over the last few years, and so that discussion leads to this obvious next one, which is of the women who have not yet won a major title, which one is poised to join the club next? These are the 10 highest-ranked female players at the moment who have not lifted a Grand Slam trophy, and in fact, only three of the 10 players pictured here have even made a Grand Slam final. That would be Pliskova and Collins and Pavly Yachenkova at Roland Garros last year. So, Andy, which one of these majorless women has the best chance to win in Paris? Well, that's a tough one. I mean, even though Bedosa took an early loss in, in Madrid, I think I still like her chances just because she's largely predictable. I think Jabor has has put herself firmly in that equation. And you look at Sabalenka, someone that two years ago felt like would have been the answer to that question, but I think there's a little bit of scar tissue from kind of going the distance and having to answer the question, why aren't you going further? That type of pressure adds up a little bit. Pliskova has maybe seen her best chances go by, but she played great at Wimbledon last year. So uh, anybody's guess, but I think Jabor and Bedosa as uh, as it pertains to, to this year's Roland Garros. Well, as we go into this Roland Garros, it'll be the one-year anniversary of Krajcikova who had never played mm -hmm. a main draw singles match at Roland Garros, comes out champion. And then the two majors later, Radha Kanu comes out of qualifying. 
wins 10 matches in a row. So I will pick the field. I don't think any of those players actually will be the first time. I think it'll be somebody that we ha- can't even imagine sitting here Could today. Could you have imagined Yelena Ostapenko back before that? Could you have imagined Sonia Kennan winning the Australian Open, right? Absolutely not. But as Andy said, that's part of the beauty. I like how the partnership of men's and women's tennis works through the decades. Well, that's a good segue to this, which is obviously it's been the polar opposite situation on the men's side where the game's been dominated by three guys for the past 15 years. Andy, which which do you prefer and which do you think is a better product for the fans, a situation where you can rely on a handful of guys going to win most of the big titles or where it's a free-for-all and you just don't know? I feel like us tennis fans complain no matter what we're getting, right? Uh, but, Isn't that true? You know, but it, it, I, I think where the interesting part is where, you know, listen, if you can build up you, you, these absolute legends, you want to see them square off as, as much as possible, right? And now we're like, hey, listen, we want a dominant number one in the women's game again. We want these rivalries. There's really not a true rivalry uh, in women's tennis that's entirely predictable uh, at this point. So we won it again. But then all of a sudden, I remember back to growing up, and it's, you know, Graf and Celis and Sanchez Vicario and Sabatini, and we're going, oh, well, this is boring. We know who's going to be in the semi. So, <laughs> listen, let's be happy with what we're seeing, and let's enjoy what we have. You know, we no, none of us saw uh, on the men's side all of a sudden three guys uh, kind of being super selfish and taking away 61 slams uh, from the field. So let's just appreciate what we have when we have it because it's always changing, right? Sp- spoken like a guy who had several of those slams taken away from him by those three guys. <laughs> you know, I love the diversity of all the names, too, that have been one-time uh, major winners, but also the ones that can. Tennis is a global sport. I love that part. It's amazing, and the great news is we get to find out ourselves firsthand. Roland Garros begins two weeks from tomorrow, first ball to last, right here on Tennis Channel. More to come on the show. Carlos Alcaraz is only 19, but he has already assembled a portfolio of tennis art. We will show you the installation when we come back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. See live men's double semis today. John Isner, Hubert Hercotch, they won the Miami title together last month. Today, Andy, they ran into Wesley Kulhoff and Neil Skupski. Yeah, and this was really unfortunate for Isner getting called the not up. He's not happy with it. And I kind of agree with Isner. He clearly got it. And also, to the umpire, you can't take away Isner's shine when he finally runs down a drop shot, right? It's been like 20 years. Oh, no. Like, that's just that's just cruel. But if you thought Alcaraz was the hottest player on tour, you were wrong. It's actually Isner on the doubles court. Higher doubles ranking than singles now. But Kulhoff and Skupski, too tough for the specialist Isner today. All right, uh, they will play Cabal and Farah in the final tomorrow. How about sixth final of the year already for Kulhoff and Skupski? And by the way, that's Neil Skupski. Ken is the brother. You can see the final tomorrow, Tennis Channel, 9.30 a.m. Eastern. Andy is going to call it via Skype because he loves the doubles highlights. <laughs> Let's look at some social net, what players are doing and saying on social media. We start with our Tennis Channel brother, 
John Wertheim, who suggests after watching uh, Jabur and Alcaraz this week that drop shot winners should be official stats on tour. Do you agree, Pam? Yes, absolutely. The amount that we're seeing, I want to know Alcaraz in the finals tomorrow, what will his percentage be? I don't want to just know the ones that are going in. I also want to know the ones that he misses. Yeah, I think it's actually a really relevant stat because it kind of tells the story in terms of strategy also, right? I mean, it kind of tells you, uh, explains a little bit of variety. So I, I, I had never thought of this, but I actually think I agree with John. Uh, okay, everybody agrees that that's a good idea. Let's move on to our friends at Functional Tennis. Andy, hang on to your ankles for this one. This is uh, some video drills on how to slide into the drop shot that you're retrieving. Uh, thoughts, pointers, technical tips, what have you. Hey, listen, the last thing that any of these kids need is me giving me advice on how to slide. Um, so, they, they, listen, there would be hypocrisy of which has never been seen before, and I don't say that lightly these days, Brett. Uh, okay, uh, it speaks for itself, that video. Good pointers. You can check out uh, Functional Tennis if you want to learn how to do what Andy talks about, not what he does. Uh, let's move on to <laughs> coaching great Rick Macy. We saw a lot of Rick in the uh, Williams Sisters movie. He says, according to this quote, that he has seen Federer and Nadal and Djokovic when they were all young, but that in the last 30 years he hasn't seen anybody like Carlos Alcaraz and that he could be the greatest of all time. Should, should we all, Pam, slow our collective roles on that? Yeah, I think we should slow it a little bit, but I think Rick Macy's seen a lot of the all-time greats at that developmental stage. I think we all are absolutely blown away by what we've seen the last few months from Alcaraz. Let's just see how he handles Roland Garros, Wimbledon, and U.S. Open. Can I answer that question in October? Sure. I answered it now just fine. But, uh, Andy, what, what say you? Yeah, props to Rick. I mean, he was he was, he was my coach for uh, when, I, when I was a kid also. I love Rick Macy. This is getting a little bit uh, ahead of ourselves, right? Because there's a lot of assumptions being made. It's that he's going to handle his newfound fame uh, seamlessly. And we're assuming health, right? It took these guys 20, you know, 17, 18, 20 years to get to their Grand Slam total. So we can't now just project that success onto the next generation and project that longevity expectation onto the next generation. So I think Alcaraz, listen, if you're saying, you know, over under seven and a half, eight and a half slams, which is a lot more than some of the icons of our sport, uh, I think that's actually a realistic conversation that doesn't do any disrespect to Alcaraz. It's amazing how quickly things develop. Last year, we're going yep. to Rome tomorrow, right? Last year, he had to qualify for Rome. Now he's going to be yep. top six in the world. Uh, since we're Alcaraz-centric on this show, let's give you what our tape producers have put together, the top five Alcaraz shots of his young career. These are just in chronological order. This is Andy from Next Gen Finals last year. Well, also, look at the slick indoor court. He won this tournament. Like, the body mechanics, you're not supposed to have control of your body like that when you're 19. It's like, I'm going this way, switch directions, okay, and I still have the hands. That's silly. Just silly. <laughs> All right, that was number five. Number four, this year in Rio against Jaume Munard. He's in the far court here, Pam. Yeah, I mean, listen, he can just slide away and make these incredible shots. Great balance. Look at the court coverage from deep in the forehand side. It's the wheels, and then it's the hands with the great wheels. That's number four. Again, these are not in order of excellence. They're just chronological. So this is Miami about a month ago against Ketsmanovic. He's in the far court, Andy. Yeah, and I remember I was watching this match live, and he was absolutely electric. You don't need to be in Madrid for people to be awed by this kid. The anticipation is underrated. It's not, not something we've talked about a ton. But also, he's not just hitting passes at winners. There are drop shots. There are lobs. There's the power. It's all just a little too much. It's kind of showing off at this point. 
And he continued to show off in Barcelona against Alex <laughs> Dimonor. This He's down match point here, Pam. Yeah, just look at this improvised. What? Oh, he's moving quickly to his left, away from his forehand, and somehow on a clay court is able to hit a shot that Dimonor wouldn't have known what to do. And here's number one. It's from yesterday against Rafa. He's in the near court, and behold. And by the way, all of these shots are happening on points that actually matter, right? It's not like he's taking some dumb cut for a highlight reel. He's actually making these to win matches, to break, to save match points. It's, uh, it's insane. The kid can flat out fly out there. And he's only played 26 tournaments in his tour level career, and that's the collection of highlights we have on him. Can't wait till he's got, what, 100 <laughs> under his belt? We still have one match to go. It is between that man, Sasha Zverev, and Stefanos Tsitsipas for the right to play Alcaraz tomorrow. That match on the way, live on Tennis Channel. Stay with us. Moments away from the second men's semifinal in Madrid. It's the defending champ, Sasha Zverev, against Stefanos Tsitsipas, who made the final here couple of years ago. It's their 11th meeting. 7-3 lead for Sitsipas. 3-0 on clay. Pam, what are the keys to this one? Well, I think it's such an advantage. To be, even though that first semi was such a long one, this is tough. You're starting at 11.20 p.m. in Madrid. Let's say it's a three-hour match. You're going to finish around 2.30. So I say a key to this Whoever wins the first set needs to win the second set and be ready for Mr. Alcaraz tomorrow. It's a short turnaround for whoever wins. Andy, what's the key for you? Yeah, well, obviously, every Zverev match is, is the roller coaster of, uh, of second serves, right? But he has to be able to penetrate through the court against Sitsipas. He was playing a little bit of the cat and mouse in Monte Carlo, and that just didn't really end that well for him. So he's going to have to take his shots up the line early in rallies to kind of establish precedent. So therefore, when he does get into the deeper rallies, Sitsipas hasn't hit a ton of balls, right? Pete Sampras wrote the book on that, right? I'm not going to let you hit anything. And then all of a sudden, we're in a 12-ball rally, and you're super confused. So I think Zverev has to take some pot shots uh, a little earlier in the rallies this time. It's interesting, you know, there have been so many storylines, so many talking points in men's tennis early this year. Rafa started 20-0. and Djokovic got frozen out and deported from uh, Australia. Now Alcaraz is the big storyline. Oh, by the way, Stefano Tsitsipas is leading the tour in wins. Is he getting under-discussed in a way, Andy? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I mean, especially coming into the clay court season, um, you know, we should value the Monte Carlo win. We should value the consistency. He was one set away from winning... Roland Garros last year, but in the shadow of a storyline about a Rafa, about a Novak, they've earned their own their own headlines, right? And then you have this phenom, phenom the likes of which we haven't seen probably since Rafa. Uh, yeah, he's probably uh, talked about uh, a little too rarely, especially during the clay court season. But I would say it's probably for for valid reasoning. Yeah, I think everybody besides the ones you mentioned have been under talked about it. And these are guys that are week in week out filling their seating. Like right now, we're about to see number four play again, number two in a big semifinal. So um, look, talk about unusual things. We could see one of those guys that are in the top 10 ready to win Roland Garros. Let's not put all our eggs in the Dundal Djokovic Alcaraz basket. A lot of pressure building on these two guys because their colleagues are starting to win theirs, right? Team has his, Medvedev has his. These two guys don't have theirs yet. Andy, you, you've looked at uh, some of the stroke production of these two guys? Yeah, I mean, I, listen, 
yeah, head to head, I think we're going to get a graphic, but uh, you know, I, I think Pam likes the Sitsipas serve a little bit more than, than I do, but listen, Zverev can get through service games. He has 140 in the arm. He actually serves a pretty high percentage of first serve, even before we get to the second serve on every other service. I think his returns are better. Sitsipas is able to control the middle of the court and he transitions really well off of that forehand side, taking uh, what seems like a neutral ball and able to kind of, uh, get on the forehand quickly and come forward. I think Zverev's backhand is more solid on every other service. Sitsipas is able to expand the court on the one-hander when given time on the clay. I think Sitsipas has better hands. And obviously, uh, at this point in their careers, he's a better clay court player. Well, Andy, I agree. Sometimes on Zverev's serve, you just want to put an X on it. <laughs> totally, especially that second one. Then again, he may hit a 140-mile-an-hour right. ace on his second serve, so oh. it's kind of uh, catch-as-catch-can. They are finally in the hallway. We have stalled to the absolute <laughs> maximum capacity of our capabilities, which leaves me to say thank you for joining us on TC Live. For Pam and Andy, I'm Brett. It'll be Jason Goodall and Jim Courier with the call on this one, and we'll see you tomorrow for Championship Sunday after this.